the Wrist Cheese Radio Podcast, your place for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. As always, I'm joined by my good buddy. You guys know him. You love him. Mr. Bro Dinky. Bro, what is going on? It's been a long week, Schmidt. <laughs> on this Sunday. <laughs> just just no 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 BS. It's right in. It's it's been it's been it's been, it's been a week. No, today was <laughs> as you know, today is my Monday, and it was it was all of the Monday I could have asked for as Mondays uh, yes. go, even though it yes. was a Sunday. But it was it okay. was a, it was quite the start to the week. However, I did have a very nice weekend. That's good. Yeah. Um got to go to a little event hosted by Brew on Friday. Nice. A lot of fun. How did that go? I mean, it was great. It was really nice. It He had, I guess, more or less all of his models, you know, chronologically on display, which was cool because there were some that, that I haven't seen. And then there's there were some new ones. He had the automatic one there. I got to check out all the, the, the golden PVD ones that I like. Um. There was just a sweet little room if you went down the stairs that was like uh sort of like tied together the inspiration between like the blacked out brew and the the Porsche. It was it was cool. It just had a lot of like rotating pictures and it was like a lot of lights and dark. And then upstairs was sort of like the display cases. There was a DJ. Okay. It was a open bar. Um <laughs> nice. Okay, as it should be. As yeah. it should be. So Good time. Uh, spent most of it hanging out with uh, a couple people I knew from Red Bar, and then um, yeah, afterwards went out to dinner. Ended up on a rooftop um, for a little bit. Now the Long Island Railroad, the enigma that it is. <laughs> so there is a twelve forty eight train. Okay. Now normally there's one every hour. There is no one forty eight. So you're either on the twelve forty eight or you're on the two forty eight. Hmm. Mm. So, so you're 12, on the two forty eight. Twelve forty eight. Still having a good time. One forty eight could have been ideal. Two forty eight. It was. <laughs> yeah, that's when you're like, I am basically a vegetable. But it wasn't bad, you know. I think uh, most most of the folks uh, we were with disbanded around probably one. So, uh, yeah, spent the rest of the time in Midtown uh, drinking whiskey with uh, Kathleen from Red Bar. So, there, there are worse ways to celebrate uh, celebrate an event. Could have been worse. Hey, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you. So, we went to this place she knows of, guy who I think manages it, also a watchhead, was cool. So, okay, talking with him. There's these out of town dudes sitting there, and they're in the bag. You know what I mean? And uh, they're like, what's the most expensive? It's a whiskey bar exclusively, pretty much. Okay. okay what's the most okay. expensive thing you got? Oh, let's talk. Oh, okay. So, you know, unopened bottle, top shelf. Okay. I don't remember the dollar value on it, but four twenty-five a glass. That's a lot. So what do they do? They look at each other and they go, let's split one. Right. So they basically ordered one and passed it around. But still, I watched a $425 bottle of whiskey get poured and then the gentleman who was sitting in the corner said hey i'll take one too only in new york city man yeah <laughs> we're like 425 dollars um for just the poor yeah i'm good <laughs> well the best That's... part is after he pours it right so they're 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 taking theirs the guy looks at the, the kid behind the party goes he goes house rule which clearly meant Put a little bit in a glass for you and me. It was hysterical. I was like, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. probably a celebration. We just sold nine hundred dollars worth of whiskey in two seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of what I was thinking. Of. I was like, man, that is uh, that's a that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. And, and for those out there wondering, I believe it was a Singleton from nineteen eighty seven. I want to say. Ooh. Okay. So just just for the you know the booze heads out there, and uh, yeah, and then I wound up in the uh, Red Bar Fantasy Football League. So that was how my Friday went. By the way, uh, ESPN doesn't uh, allow Dinky in their fantasy football team names. In case you were wondering, ah, oh, is that so? Yeah, they clearly uh, they've uh, deemed it a 
a either a bed or band type of word. So mm, gotcha. So definitely no uh no dinkus. I had to spell it with an exclamation instead of an I. So got it. Got, got him. It. <laughs> got him. There's always a way to sneak her in there. That's crazy though, but I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. Yeah, ever since Disney took over, they're they're no fun. Well, we'll see how long uh we'll see how long that happens because I think uh Apple's making a move for them. Oh yeah? You said ESPN, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's the rumor. Because uh basically, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, Disney's potentially seeking a sinking ship. And uh, Bob Iger, the current CEO of Disney, is trying to offload some projects, uh, which could include um ESPN. Wow. And uh, I know Apple has some stuff with sports, uh, sports TV right now, and there's potential vying for opportunities to buy ESPN from Disney and take it over under Apple's license, launch it on Apple TV, and then have all of the sports franchises. Okay, I can see that. Wow. Yeah, that would be a big move. Sure would. Yeah, there's also talk about the MCU potentially leaving as well, which... Could be great. That Star almost Wars. seems destined, man. At this point, like yeah, Star Wars too. So there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff that's uh, potentially going down the pipe, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Anyway, about anyway, pop how, culture. <laughs> how was how was your your weekend week? It was good, man. Uh, never long enough. Getting ready for another business trip again. So we are in the last stages before I have to get ready to head to the airport. Uh, travel never stops, but you know, keeps me young, I guess. Uh, but no, it's good. Got to spend some time with the family, enjoyed, uh, you know, some vacation time. Well, not vacation time, but home time here. Looking forward to the extended weekend next week, um, for Labor Day and everything like that. So that should be nice. Um, you know, maybe looking forward to some sales hmm. of some, of some type. Um, so that should be cool. Nobody loves, nobody wants to miss a Labor Day sale. You know, that's when you get all your tools and all your cool stuff. So um, being ready for that. But, uh, you know, it's good, man. Just excited to be talking about today's uh, big topic, which I know systematically everyone will cover this week as well. So we'll be uh, waiting to see how people cover it, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to, to get the, the array of opinions on this one. But, it's going to uh, change. It's going to change a lot of things. That's for sure. Yes, certainly, certainly. So before we even jump into new stuff, uh, somebody has a question for you. Okay. They they sent it to me personally because they wanted to know if my podcast partner, parentheses, Omega Encyclopedia <laughs> Guy, so that's your new name. Okay, all right. Knows the story. It was his... fine, but I guess uh, <laughs> but I guess Omega Encyclopedia Guy works too. He wants to know the story on his watch. He has a Railmaster... 2503.52. Okay. And his question has to do with the naming of the watch and why both names appear on the case. I guess Aqua Aquaterra and Railmaster. Okay. Yeah. Or Seamaster. Yeah. So uh I don't have a definitive answer for this, but I'll give you my best guess. So back in 1957, Omega launched the trilogy or what would become known as a trilogy by collectors. You had the Seamaster 300, the Speedmaster, and the Railmaster. This was Omega's first kind of professional line of watches dedicated for an individualized use, right? So Seamaster 300, divers watches, Speedmaster watches for racing and sports cars, and then the Railmaster was specifically designed for train engineers to handle the change from steam-powered locomotion to now diesel-electric locomotion, which was causing watches to get magnetized, um, which also led to train accidents, which is a, a completely separate story, but part of the overall discussion. But anyway, I digress. Um, this watch exists in the collection for a few years, uh, but as you can imagine, wasn't particularly super popular. Um, the Railmaster, I mean. But uh, it was a watch that became part of the trilogy. We had... The brand had it in the collection for, I don't know, I think maybe 10 years, 15 years at the most, maybe. And then it was kind of phased out by the 70s-ish, late 60s, early 70s. 
And if you look at any of those rail masters from that era, they look nothing like the original kind of rail master that we associate today. A lot of them had white dials. They had very dis distinctive uh, numbers. Some of them have colored second hands, like red second hands. It was very different. Uh, it almost looked more like a traditional pocket watch or like some of the ball watches you may have seen of that yeah, or era. like, a, what is it, Mondade, the train brand? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, very similar to something like that, right? Uh, it was kind of that railroad standard watch. Um, if you Google that, you'll you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So the Railmaster Venture kind of evolved into that, and then it was basically non-existent. Um, fast forward many, many, many decades, Omega relaunches the Railmaster Collection um, and brings it back to the public. And this is kind of in the early to mid-2000s. And I knew that because this is the same watch that my brother currently has. Same exact reference. Now, when they relaunched it, they didn't make Railmaster its own family. They attached it to the more popular pre-existing collection known as Seamaster. And specifically in that time, Omega also first launched the Aquaterra family. Um, which was officially launched in 2002. So if you're kind of following the timeline here, Seamaster exists in the family. Railmaster is kind of in a defunct way. We bring it back in the collection. We launched a new collection as part of Seamaster called Aquaterra. Let's just tack it on there. Uh, so it kind of became a weird amalgamation within the Seamaster family and more specifically within the Aquaterra line because... This was a history-inspired watch. And when you look at the rest of the Aquateras that were launched in that year range, the Railmaster looks nothing like them, and they look nothing like the Railmaster. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a very distinctive thing. I don't really know a definitive answer, but that would be kind of my best logical thinking. It just didn't make sense to make Railmaster its own family. They didn't sell enough units the first time. Let's just attach it to something that people feel more comfortable with. We'll put it as part of this new collection of Aquaterra. And still today, the Railmaster is in its third evolution, if you will. Uh, it did not sell well again, and it's still part of the Aquaterra family. So even right now, the current Master Chronometer versions are still part of the Aquaterra line. Rumor is they're being discontinued. Um, so go out there and get them if you are on the fence about them, uh, because they probably won't be out that much longer. But still today, they're part of the Aquaterra family. And I think that will be a watch that people will say, crap, I should have bought this. <laughs> when it was here I mean, and I didn't care about it, I should have bought it. I'm just going to say this, it's man. It's going to be gone, and then you can't get them. I, I'm just going to say this straight up, and I've always argued this point. To me, it is the best modern field watch. Nobody looks at it as a field watch. It's extremely affordable. It's matte-finished case. It's anti-magnetic. It's, it's highly water-resistant. It looks very military. You put that bad boy in a NATO strap. You have quite literally a modernized version of a 1016 Explorer. I know that that's going to be a hot take for a lot of people, but if you ever wanted to get a legit field watch, you would do far worse than buying a Railmaster. Mm. And I think the name is really what kind of makes people think twice about it specifically because they're like well it's like a train watch i'm like yeah but that watch was literally designed out of the inspiration for some of the watches that came out of the of, of world war ii that were issued to the military and they looked very similar to that they just happened to like attach trains as kind of like the technology thing at the time which made it relevant to people but as we know today it is not very relevant right so um I think a lot of people give it a bad rap specifically for that uh, for that uh, nomenclature. All right. So there you go. My good friend, AP, who I talk baseball with. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Question answered. All right. Moving on. We got a decent amount of new things going on this week. Um, I guess we'll, you know, we'll start with uh, brew here. Brew has an automatic watch out first time in a, quite a while. Stepping away from the Mega Quartz. I like it. It's in the style of the metric case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's got a very loud second hand. Other than that, black dial. I believe it's titanium. Ooh, is it really? I think it is. If it's if it is, that's even that's even more sick. I mean, because I, I was just gonna say, like, no, no, it's steel, it's steel. I wanna say I, I 
saw it was titanium at the event because I remember being shocked by it. Unless I'm just thinking of a completely different watch, but I'm pretty sure it was this one. But um, I mean, at least right now, according to the uh, to the product website, which I'm looking at, it says stainless steel 360 now. Okay, so I'm th- I'm I was looking at a different watch than it's titanium. There okay. is a titanium okay. watch somewhere floating around. Maybe I just leaked something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. But, sorry, uh, Brew. Um, but it's I I've always liked the the metric. I mean, this isn't the chronograph per se, where you have the sort of offset dials, that very seventies look. But the rest of it's still very seventies, which you know I'm a big fan of the markers, yeah. the case style. It's very smooth. I'm a fan, and like I said, you know, pe- people at the event they're like, "Oh, do you have one yet?" I'm like, "Well, no, they only make small batches, and they have a very <laughs> strong following." Yeah, so. they they just sell out. So sorry. Um, no, I, I'm with you. I, uh, I completely agree. I think this is a cool watch overall. Um, I do really like the metric case. Um, I know that this is kind of like the, the, the period for like the integrated steel sports watch kind of look. Um, I love the metric case. One thing that I know brew does so well is they keep everything very straightforward and they keep the dial text extremely sparse. In most cases, they don't even have brew. You just kind of have like this, like a little coffee bean logo that's there. Um, but this one does have automatic because it is a mechanical watch movement. Uh, I love it. My only critique for it would be like, hey man, just stick a just stick a diver's bezel on it and let's call it a day. Because I think you're one step away from that. That would be neat. I think that that would be so sick. So um, it's John, right, John? Yep. Yeah. So John, if you ever are listening to this podcast. Or people that uh, are big fans of brew, just uh, just go maybe slide into his DMs and be like, "Hey man, like this uh, this metric automatic, just give it a bezel and let's let's uh, let's get a sports watch, a dedicated sports watch out of this guy," because I think that would be super sick. Yeah, and you know the the sizing on these is interesting, thirty six by forty one. Yep, and but I it's think... probably gonna wear larger because of the integrated design. Yeah, of course, but I'm just saying. I, I think it's it's got sort of everybody covered within that range. I think you can get away yeah. with that regardless of who you are. So that's that's a nice feature. I would really love to see an orange dive bezel. Like, just give me a full orange, like slab dive bezel. Yeah, just I mean, it matches the the second hand. It's very funky '70s. Like, just give me that, and and let's call it a day. You know, what would I look sweet. Would you know, it would look sweet in this case, and I think be very true to that time period. What I'm thinking, two crowns. Oh, do like a compressor? Yeah, I'm thinking compressor I mean, style internal orange bezel. That would be sick. That would be sick. Hmm. You got something there. I think so. You got something there, that's for sure. <laughs> I, think that would look, I think that would look sick. Well, John, again, if you're uh <laughs> if you're listening to this, uh Give us a give us a compressor style seventies internal rotating bezel metric diver. I think that would be amazing. Tight. All right, tight. there. Tight. Tight. Uh, there's a new Giorgio Galli Timex out. Don't know if you had a chance to check this one out yet. I but, saw uh, it and I really, really, really liked it. It's a fully Swiss made Timex. So they're going all out. This is their, I guess this is their new high-end line for them. Yeah. But it's it's quite blacked out on the dial. There's not a lot going on as far as numerals, indices, etc. It's pretty much just a a circle. <laughs> and it says Timex in black. I mean, but that's kind of that's kind of the 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 galley aesthetic. I mean, like when you think about the first one, it was just kind of like a very Spartan type situation, too, you know. Yeah, I think it's definitely a little fashion driven. Oh, for sure. You know, they they keep uh they keep referencing Milan with you know their military. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that's director. where he's that's where he's from, right? Yeah. Like so they yeah. I think they're they're trying to make the the fashion tie there. I mean, I know that's his background and all that. So yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's uh it's trying to say that this watch is also like style approved in addition to being, you know, a well made piece. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I like it. I'm not I don't know if I'm at, you know, a thousand dollars for for a Timex yet. But I mean, when you think about what it is, if you took the name off the dial, would you be that far off? 
I mean, you'd be, at, you'd be at Unimatic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but but we laugh. But I mean, let's talk about this. I mean, you're getting sapphire crystal. You're getting a titanium case because it is titanium, right? Um, you're getting a Salita SW200, so it's not like a you know fossil movement or anything like that. It's like a legit movement and exhibition case back with a rubber strap on folding deployment. I I I I don't know much more of what you what you said. Or, or much more of what you need here. And actually I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It's titanium and steel case. Okay. So certain parts are titanium, certain parts are steel. Well what and then there's these uh hollowed out lug situation it looks like, yeah. I mean this is this is code eleven fifty nine vibes for a considerably less amount of money. And I mean, that's people, that's, that's kind of this. that's kind of <laughs> what I that's kind of what I what I what I think about when I look at this watch. It reminds me a lot of the design language of the eleven fifty nine. Now, obviously, are they on two separate planes? One hundred percent. I still don't like the eleven fifty nine. I wouldn't even consider owning one. But this particular watch is inexpensive enough. It's well designed enough. It's modestly priced enough that it would be something that you could get into. And it's I've, it's a very distinctive choice. It's a very artsy choice. And I've heard good things about the first one. Yeah. So, I mean, for all of you engineers, architects, you know, industrial designers, that kind of thing, I think this is a watch that speaks to your, to your kind of sensibilities and to your mindset. And this is kind of cool because this allows us now, if this works... This allows Timex to continue to start producing Swiss mid watches again and start really hammering home the fact that they're not just about cheap quartz cues. They can really do something special and different and and really start to emerge as honestly in many ways like a like a second Seiko, right? You start having the tiers of what people want from your stuff. Yeah, start at the basement and just work your way up. Yeah. And and the quality will come. People will want it, and 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 they'll want it or they don't want it. I can see somebody actually really liking this watch because just based on the specs alone, it's not a bad watch by any stretch. It just happens to say Timex on it. But honestly, I could get over that. I don't care. Yeah, I think it'll be a, a fun release for them. See how it does, and uh, we'll see yep. if there's a third. I guess coming eventually. <laughs> who who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah. All right, Fairer has three new tonneau-shaped watches. They're all a little bit Oof. different. They have yeah. one in green, one in blue, one in white dial. Uh, the green has sort of concentric tonneau shape throughout the entire dial. It kind of goes all the way down to the center pinion. The blue looks like either a matte or a brushed finish in the renders and has Romans and stick indices. And then uh, the white has sort of a Zen Garden feel to it. Yeah, like when you get the, the go to the restaurant, you see the the sand with the fun shapes drawn in it over and over mm -hmm, again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 and that's got Arabics on it. They're all a little bit different, but um, something different from them altogether. I mean, it's not you're still getting a little bit of 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 their fun, playful in the color department, but this is definitely a little something off the beaten path for them. Yeah, like I, their I, bread and butter is usually divers and gmts and fun sporty watches this is a little more mature a little more dressy uh it looks like a nice uh nice dimensioned watch it says it's only 10.6 millimeters thick yeah that's that's always nice especially in these in this case shape because this can get a little a little chunky if it's uh you know a bigger case yeah absolutely absolutely and i i had to say you know this this isn't my favorite release from Ferrer. Just being honest, um, it reminds me a lot of like stuff that's straight out of the nineteen seventies. Like heck, there's even some Omegas that look like this. This kind of like TV case, TV dial style um, watch back then. I, you know, I'm not in love with it. I can tell that it's executed well as all Ferrers are. It's just not my style personally but i was gonna say if i have to pick one of them 
I would be going with the blue and uh, the Roman numerals on the quadrants. I think that's a very good-looking dial. It's very simple, very classic, and this type of watch lends itself to that type of simplicity. I mean, heck, you're going with a time-only watch with no running seconds. You know, that's kind of like as simple as you can get, right? Yep. Um, the one thing that is kind of cool, though, is the rotors are colored on these guys. So I think depending on which uh, variation you get, there's some type of coloring incorporated into the actual automatic rotor for the watch, uh, which is, you know, it's a nice touch, especially if you are, you know, you know, fairer is big on color. So that's kind of one of their things. I think this is a nice touch to kind of differentiate it uh, from the rest of the collection, especially depending on which one you get. Yeah, I kind of dig the way that they made the numerals big and small on the same dial in the white. Yep, that's it's, weird. I've never seen that done before. So you've got your even numbers going around are bigger than the odd yeah. numbers. You know, it's kind of weird. It almost reminds me of like bubbles, like floating, you know, through the air, mm. like at different sizes. I know it sounds kind of stupid, but it's the first thing I thought of when I looked at this. It's funny. I I literally did not even notice that until you pointed it out to me right now. Yeah, it's just it seems like it's something that's a little more them, like it's a little playful. It's colorful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's why that one kind of stuck out to me, but I mean, I like it. I'm overall like don't let me dissuade you from getting this watch if you really like it. Um I think it's funky. It's not my style per se, but uh what the hell do I know? I'm just a voice on the internet. So um Go ahead and get it if you like it. Well, this is also sort of what we were talking about last week that we thought someone like Grand Seiko should do something, not necessarily this, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the equivalent of a brand that does colorful, sporty watches doing this type of release. Okay, that's a that's a big step for them. That's a jump. It's something they don't conventionally do. It's yeah. neat. It's you know, it's a risk. Kind of novel, right? It's a risk for sure. So speaking of Seiko, they actually had a pretty big week here. Um, they s- sneakily brought in a yellow version of the 5KX GMT and also a mm-hmm. black version with a Pepsi chapter ring. Yeah. And I just happened to stumble across them and I had to be like, guys, is this is this new? Does, has anybody seen these? And they're like, no, no, <laughs> yeah. we haven't seen them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm, but nope. the yellow, it's a really nice shade of yellow. I like it a lot. And it's very sort of reminiscent of some of their older watches, which yeah. I'm also a big fan of. And uh, yeah, it's in that sort of value pack GMT package. Very cool. The Pepsi one, I'm not in love with, I guess, because it's it's sort of just, it's a lot like the black one. I mean, it's, it doesn't have the same bezels, the black one, I don't think, but yeah. But the the yellow again, I I like when you get a watch that you would wear in a color that you don't find that often. Like you don't have a ton of options for yellow, right? You can no 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 not at all. We know not where you all. can get yellow from, right? There's plenty of people who do it, but many of them are highly priced. <laughs> yeah, but um, that but is yeah, for sure. But you know, to to get something like this in a a cheaper package again, they retail at four seventy five. You don't buy these at four seventy five, but know you get a neat yellow watch something you don't have something a little different maybe you like this watch but you're like i don't need another black or batman gmt well now you have a yellow one you have an excuse to get one so (laughs) i mean overall i think uh i think these are cool watches there's no question about that um i like the yellow one a lot uh just because it is so distinctly different just like you said it's like there's not a whole lot of yellow timepieces out there in the begin with uh so i think this is very cool uh, I really do like the gray dial with the uh, with the Pepsi chapter ring. Um, I think it's it's a nice subtle way to incorporate that design aesthetic that doesn't feel like it's borrowed or copied from every other freaking Pepsi GMT on the planet Earth. Right. Um, but if you're kind of going for that quintessential look, then maybe it's a little bit too um, too soft. There, it's not like as boldly executed as something like that. But you know what? I, I want my watches to be different. I think the gray is a nice color choice here, and that. Pepsi, you know, black and red uh, or uh, blue and red indication is is slight enough where it's a nice color pop without being too overly focused on the rest of the watch. Because that's the other thing, too. Sometimes the blue and red is hard to wear with stuff like yeah. all the time. I mean, you can make the same argument for the yellow or for the orange or whatever. But, you know, sometimes it's a little bit harder to wear 
uh, without feeling like it's too kitschy. Uh, and I think this is kind of like the nice execution of that where you can still wear it. It feels comfortable. It looks good. And nobody's going to think you're weird by doing it. Yeah, it's a little subdued. And it's yeah. it's. I know what you're saying. It's a little harder to wear two bright, vibrant colors than it is one. Yes, correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And and I'll be honest, like I love I love wearing Pepsi watches. I mean, I have a I have a Seiko Turtle Patty that's in that red kind of red and blue kind of Pepsi-ish look. And sometimes I'm like, man, like I wear it and I immediately take it off like halfway through the day because I'm like, eh, it's a little bit too loud. Like I almost wish I would have gotten just a standard black turtle, you know, because then you can change it with the bands and it's not so garish in some aspects. But that's just me thinking out loud, so But I like it. I think it's a good choice. It was sneaky. They definitely just kind of like dropped it in there and like didn't say anything to anybody about it, uh, which is which is interesting. But uh, but cool. No, nevertheless. Um, but I like it. And in bigger Seiko GMT news, we have a new reissued Navigator timer. Yeah. Also sneaky. Very sneaky. The SPB 411, if you're keeping track. This is a direct... You, you have to be so excited. You have to be so excited for this I mean, the, me, everybody... I think everybody's been asking for this. So it's it's cool to see. It's cool to see that they actually... Wasn't this one of the ones that we kind of like were hoping would come back? I think didn't, so. Didn't I, we again, talk I, about this on our previous episode? I think everybody... It's called the Navigator, right? That's yeah, what you it said? Is. There were more than uh, just this layout for it. But... This is fine. It looks really good. I think it's going to be a little more high end. Somewhere in the, I think I heard 14, 1500 range. Again, a little pricey for a Seiko. Yeah. Especially considering they offer other GMTs at $400. <laughs> yeah, but they don't look like this. Right. And we were talking before the show. I mean, it, you, you'd be spending plenty to get an old one. Plus, you got to consider maintenance, servicing, all that. Yeah. And this is a brand new watch. So sometimes you do have to weigh your options in that regard where you're, do I, do I buy a new one? Do I buy an old one? Cause that was also something that sort of weighed on me about getting the newer King Seiko. I was like, well, I could get an old one. Hope it's all original. Hope that whoever I deal with has correctly identified that hope it doesn't need a service. Yeah. Right. And then hope that the test of time hasn't worn on it where I'm going to, you know, have a gasket leak or something. And then, well, there goes that, you know, or I could just get the new one. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of my point, right? This is an, a faithful homage piece of the original. It's manufactured to modern specs using modern materials, modern technology. All of these things are important. And then on top of that, you have a good looking watch that's finished inspired and you don't have to go track one down you don't have to find one in abused condition. You don't have to worry about servicing it. You don't have to worry about trying to find original parts for it. And, you know, having DC vintage going, sourcing the internet to find you something that's going to be relatively about the same price. So I think from, you know, the fact that, yes, it's it's expensive. There's no question about that. It's absolutely true. These watches are getting more and more and more expensive as the years go on. But at the end of the day, uh, you know what? It's a lot easier than going out and finding an original. Yeah, it's definitely something to take into account. Yeah, right. The sweat, sweat equity, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 there. It's true. And I guess while we're on Seiko GMTs, I'll just keep going up the ladder. Uh, there are two new. Grand Seiko GMTs, one is the yeah. format of the same one that we did last week that I was talking about, the sort of pastel green dial. This one has yeah. sort of a sky textured blue dial and a blue 50-50 GMT bezel. The other is sort of in the form of their other GMT line that a lot of people enjoy. These are the SBGJ275, SBGM253. Uh, the two five three that, that I was just talking about is the same format as the smaller sort of cream dialed one that a lot of people sort of fell in love with when it came out. It has the like the very close internal GMT scale, 
yeah that lines up with the date um yeah both nice but again it it sort of goes back to what we were talking about last week where they could have channeled this into something new and different and just didn't yep and i guess that's where i stand with it i mean look again not that either one is terrible not that i wouldn't mind wearing either one but i don't have a reason to need either one no and as i said before like we know you do dial finishing well we get it it's time to it's time to do something different and i think that's the challenge that uh that grand sega is really going to have to face is like what can we do that is different and right now i i don't know what that is we said it coming out with the sports line. You know, you got to move away from from just dial finishing and dial techniques because we already know you do that. That's that's not a that's a given at this point. So, um, are they pretty? Absolutely, no question about it. Uh, they look good. Um, if you're into like cloud dials, I guess they they're very well executed. It's just it, to me now at this point they're just boring. It's just boring to me. I would say monotonous is the word. Yeah. Right. They kind repetitive. Of, they, just they repetitive. Monotonous is a good way to describe that. Yeah, sure. For me, just I feel bored. Um, there's just nothing that excites me because there's nothing that's different or new. They have 50 million seasons. It's the same watch over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they need to they need to come up with something different. And as we mentioned last week, this is why their sales are declining. There's not much out there to grab the attention of collectors and the collectors that are collecting Grand Seiko. How many, how many do you really need to have a collection of Grand Seiko? Two watches. If that, I mean, I have the I one mean, works pretty good, I, but, that, but that's my point is like, there, there's nothing that would be like, Hey bro, this is, this is awesome. You should go out and get this extra one. You already have it. You're like, you you uh I forget what is your dial called again? Uh the Shunbun, the it's, cherry blossom. It's cherry blossom, right? It's Shunbun, right? So you have a texture dial, Zeratsu finishing, uh spring drive technology, right? If I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And an in-house movement. Right. So the only the only watches in their entire lineup that you could own side by side with that, that would be different with that regard would be like one of their sort of sporty quartz GMTs or, or, uh, or an automatic movement, like a true, like a true high beat, you know, but at that point, it's like, maybe, maybe let's expand that. Maybe it's three watches. Everything else is just a derivative of those three. So from my perspective, it's not worth it. Not going to do it. And I think for most collectors now, it's becoming too much of a novelty where they're just not wanting to to invest in it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, look, there's a Katana one. Oh, look, there's a Seasons one. Oh, look, there's a Cherry Blossom. Oh, look, this one has clouds in the dial. It's like, okay, we get it. Let's move on. Speaking. Of so moving, on that note, let's move on. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking <laughs> of moving on, uh, I have to ask you about this because I think this also got kind of sneakily thrown in. When did the khaki field titanium become 38 millimeters? <laughs> uh, the official launch, I think, was maybe a week or two ago. We definitely missed covering it for sure. Because they definitely um, snuck this under my nose. Because I already liked the khaki field titanium. And I was a bit on the fence about, I think, what was the other one? 41? <laughs> I think it was uh, 41 or 42. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I like the black one. I was like, ah, black and 41, 42. I'm not so sure. It's a now slimming. It's, you know. Now it's 38. Ugh, this is <laughs> tough. It's very tough. Yeah, this is a, it's a good, it's a good release. I mean, super quiet. I mean, you, you guys all know how we, if you listen to the podcast for any length of time, you know how we feel about the, the Hamilton khaki fields. It's really hard to not like them. There's so many iterations these days uh, and they're all very well executed. Um, now we have some other versions that are now being executed in the 38 millimeter, which were only previously available in 41, I believe. Uh, so now 
broke and getting himself a specialty watch that he liked in the big size, now in a smaller size. Um, and they're cool. They're titanium. Yeah, so, I, have to, I have to see if, if they bring that blue and green one down too or not. That's going to be the, the ultimate. When I was on the strap. That's tough. Yeah, the blue and green ones that were on the strap. We'll see. As of right now, it looks like it's only the full black uh, with black titanium livery and then the titanium blue dial on the bracelet. But it wasn't on strap because it was only on the strap on the larger size. But the blue dial on the bracelet, uh, titanium is now a 38 and then the full black version. The one we're missing is the greenish gray dial um, and that uh, that blue on strap with the texture yeah that one's good mm -hmm. i like that one a lot yeah it's kind of like a like the surface of the moon texture yep. or whatever to it yeah that one is good so there you go go check them out they're cool and then They've i think schmidt and brodinky approved i think the moment everybody's been waiting for uh, <laughs> there's a rolls royce dashboard clock oh yes so obtainable for all of us so vc has decided to do a dashboard tourbillon for your Rolls Royce that can go right right in the dashboard. Yep. This is where all your allocation for the years go. Yeah. They're doing stuff like this. <laughs> this is why they only make like 20,000 20, watches a year because they're doing silly things like this. Um, It's cool. I mean, from like a hype standpoint, like, you know, it is what it is. If you but... didn't know how to flex your Rolls Royce further, this is I it. Mean, I mean, and it, it and and I will say this: it is kind of cool because it like it like opens up and like the watch comes out almost like a flower, you know, like the petals opening up to to reveal the inside portion of the flower. But you know, again, we're talking about things that don't even make sense to me in my head. Um, you know, how am I gonna justify that? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, what are you gonna do? And it is it is hand wound, so you know you gotta you gotta keep it wound for your. If you don't drive the rolls a few days out of the week, that thing is gonna be off. You're gonna have to reset it. That's you know, you gotta make you know, sure you work work in your rotation. Life problems, life problems, my friend, life problems. Okay, now the true moment, people. I think have been waiting for because it was <laughs> all that anybody could talk about in the city the the other night and. I think it's on a lot of people's minds and the speculation of what this means is sort of unsure, but it's something we talked about previously. Yep. And so Rolex has acquired Booker. Yeah. We know is doing their certified pre-owned sales. Correct. So for me right away, that tells me Rolex now owns the new retail. Yep. And they own the certified pre-owned sales yeah which is dangerous and, and, and this is the only <laughs> this is the only thing that makes that make sense because when they were talking about doing the cpo program earlier it didn't make sense and we talked about this on the episode yep. like, i cannot understand how they're going to get away with doing this how am i going to sell a a cpo sub at list or above list and then try to sell a brand new sub at list you know, if they can get it and like, how can you justify that one's going to be more expensive when it's older and all these different things. Now it makes sense. This deal has been working uh, very much in the works behind the scenes for many, 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 many months. I guarantee you, even before the CPO program really went into effect and that was publicly announced, I'm sure they had some idea that that would be the case. And maybe as an act of good faith, uh, that's why Rolex decided to roll it out with Bukura first. Because they were already established retailers, they had the resources, let's partner with them. We'll give them exclusivity as a test market for our CPO program. And then we can see from there if we can scale it to everything else. And now, we just acquired them. So now we can do whatever we want with our CPO program. And now we have the decision to scale that to external retailers or not. And that'll funnel everybody uh, to Booker locations. And that's going to be challenging because there's approximately 100 different types of Bukura doors across the globe. Um, around 50-ish to 53 or so is what I think I remember reading. Carry Rolex. And uh, the remaining number of that is 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 something that potentially carries Tudor. 
So regardless, the crown is represented in some form or fashion across almost every single Bukhara location uh, worldwide. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's what I'm most curious about is, are you going to have new pieces on display at retail price, and then you're going to have an iteration of the same watch, maybe not even that old, in a separate case yeah. for more money? significantly more yeah why not you don't think that's going to play a little weird to like the common person they're going to be like, it's, wait it's definitely going to play a little weird but i'll tell you this from from a lot of retailers that i know you know let's be honest there's some people who don't give a crap oh for sure they just want to walk in there it be in the showcase they don't care if it's over retail if they want it bad enough they're gonna they're gonna extend the scratch and they're gonna pony up the money and get it it does not matter if it's five thousand over list, ten thousand over list, thirty thousand over list, if they want it bad enough to flex on their friends and they got that kind of cash, they're gonna do it anyway. So why not? All this allows them to do now is to establish purchase history within that respective institution as well. So why wouldn't you do it now? And I think it just incentivizes them to to not necessarily need to dole out allocation. But that's my point. Like what, right? and, why would and, you sell and, and new watches and, if you could sell older ones for more money? And, and here's the thing, though. Allocation is going to be really a term that's not going to be relevant, I think, anymore. Because it's one thing if you're a mom-and-pop retailer, you're an independent, uh, individualized retailer that has a Rolex license to carry their brand. If I were you right now, I would be shitting in my pants. Because let's be honest, Rolex has now acquired over 100 points of sale overnight. Okay. That is, Booker has one of the largest watch presence globally of any major company on planet Earth. Okay. More than watches of Switzerland, more than any, a lot of these players, mayors, you know, reads, it doesn't matter. They have global distribution, which is why it makes sense for Rolex to go in bed with them. Okay. Because they already have the access points. And they're one of Rolex's oldest retailers. Period. All right? So there's just an association there that extends long before this acquisition. And I heard some people like, oh, they're merging. Like, no, they ain't merging. Nah. Rolex just owns them now. Okay? Now, it's also interesting because for many, 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 many years... It was always touted that Rolex would never enter into retail. That was the thing. They'll never enter retail. They'll never enter retail because they've built their business on the backs of these independent mom and pop companies that have bent over backwards for the crown, pledged fealty to the crown to make sure that they could continue carrying all of Rolex's product. If I were you, I would be shitting in my pants right now because now there's no guarantee of anything. Booker is now 100 additional points of sale. Rolex already had, let's say, 50% of those with actual Rolex shopping shops. Uh, the remaining would be Tudor shopping shops. I guarantee you those will quickly be reworked to, to now be Rolex points of sale as well. They can build out as large or as small of a shopping shop location in their own stores as possible. They're going to funnel everybody into those respective areas. And guess what? Now, because they're your own retail network, you've acquired 100 retail stores overnight, uh, you're going to feed your kids first. So whatever allocation you thought you were getting in Evansville, Indiana, or in Winnipeg, Canada, it's gone. You'll never get it. Ouch. I mean, this is just the reality. I can't see this playing out any other way. Okay? You don't think that Rolex is going to keep that place stocked? For sure. And I think we sort of also speculated on this as well. Maybe not in the traditional sense, but this is almost a Rolex move to boutique at this point. I mean, but if at this gonna, point... If you're you going to phase out those independent jewelers... You're but basically at this point, doing. Do you that, even right? need to do that? That's what I'm saying. It's it's almost by default. I mean, it, yeah, it, and and to some degree, it is it is actually boutique by default. But my point is, 
you know, if if you're going to quote unquote let Booker operate as business as usual, which as we know in the world of business only happens within the short term and immediately immediately as things go on, they start rolling heads because the old brass from the respective company that that is being acquired or being merged or whatever in typical business, they're like, yeah, nothing's going to change yet. You know, we're, we're <laughs> this is how this, it goes. <laughs> this is always how it goes, and they're only doing that so to satiate the employees, to make them not jump ship, and for them to have a really, you know, you know, cluster on their hands. That's the only reason why they come up with these statements. And they're like, you know, the 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 old man who's who's run Booker for many, many, many years, doesn't have any kids or family he's going to leave the business to. I was like, so you telling me that this multi-billion dollar company with 100 points of sale across the planet doesn't have senior leadership that the owner would feel confident in leaving the business to? So you're just going to let it be purchased by Rolex? Like, even if that story is true, which, okay, let's pretend that it is. What kind of faith do you have in your corporate leadership team? Mm-hmm. That you're not like, you know what, Jeff, you've been a good, solid guy. You've been a soldier for 60 years. It's time for you to take over the mantle. Like, hey, bro, you know what? Screw you. I'm going <laughs> to let Rolex own you now. <laughs> so whatever corporate leadership you thought was going to exist at Bukhara, uh is gone. Because they're either going to get fired or they're going to leave willingly. Time to time to tidy up that resume. Yeah, I mean because now you're going to have to you're going to have to fall into the corporate machine more than you ever thought possible. Because I'll be honest with you, the Rolex corporate machine is uh not going to take that lightly. They they they're not going to do that for sure. But yeah, so. My whole point with this is whatever you thought was going to happen, you finally going to get that call. Not anymore, buddy. Not anymore. This is almost like they're like, oh, the allocation pieces are finally hitting. This is almost like the dying whisper of the industry. This is the last gasp of breath that's being exhaled as they perish. Okay. Because here's the other aspect of this in business. Are these major brands going to allow Booker to sell their products knowing that they are owned by their major competition? Like, what does that mean for Paddock? Paddock all of a sudden going to pull out of every Booker location across the planet? What does that mean for Omega and Swatch Group? Mm. What does that mean for LVMH? Like, Booker is a multi-brand retailer. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a I didn't even think of that. Like, and and I'll be honest with you, this is the most Rolex flex move you could have ever done. This is this is as the kids say, five D chess. Okay, I mean seriously, because it's like, hey, you know, you've been really gaining market share. You've been fighting for position. You're becoming a much more household name in comparison to us. Cool. But hold my beer because now I'm just going to own you. I'm such a powerful company that I will still buy your products and allow my employees to sell them. And it doesn't even phase me because I'm still making money off of you. Yep. That is a. I mean, that is an F you move to the max. That is checkmate chess. I mean, again, like if you're a brand like Paddock, who's been like, yeah, Rolex is just kind of like trying to play in the big kids pool and they really aren't there. Rolex has been like, hey, dude, you know what? I'm just going to drown you. And this is my pool now. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is nuts. And I don't think under people like really understand how serious this is for the entirety of the industry. This will change everything. This will change how many points of sale Rolex has in its distribution network. This will change how many people can join into the CPO program if they're even going to extend it externally now at this point. This is going to change their allocations. 
This is going to change who's in bed with who. So now do you do you drastically try to pivot and save your business and be like, hey, you know what? Now Swatch Group's my guy. Now LVMH is my guy to try to keep the lights on. Because now you can kind of see, well, you know what? Maybe Rolex isn't going to give me all the allocation that I thought I was getting. Now what? God forbid you're a store that was just starting to get into talks to acquire Rolex as part of your, your shop's inventory. And I know that this is almost intentional because I've heard from a lot of people that in the last few months, let's call it the beginning of this year, Rolex has really been cracking down on retailers, forcing them to update their shopping shops. If I was a retailer that had to do a multi hundred thousand investment into building out a new shopping shop, let's say I spent four hundred thousand dollars to update my shop, which is a lot of money. And then I do this massive build out with you, Rolex. You just come out, you announce all of your 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 retail network overnight. I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose my allocation. And then two months later, you close me. What now? I hear oh, I hear OnlyFans pays well. I, I just, I mean, could you imagine that? And you know, you know for a fact that somebody's going to get caught up in that shit. Somebody's going to get caught up in the fray where that's going to happen to them. They were promised that they were going to get an extension. They were going to get allocation pieces this year if they updated their shop. Some rep sold them this pipe dream. And then all of a sudden, Rolex is going to show up to their door and be like, hey, you know what? You're not a retailer for us anymore. And we're going to gut your stuff after you spent $400,000 to do it. Like I said, if I was an independent retailer that was carrying Rolex, I would be shitting in my pants. Because this is dark business. And only potentially the consumer wins in this situation. But if there's a booker in your town and you don't have a relationship with them to try to get Rolex, good luck. Because you think your mom and pop that you built a relationship and a rapport with is going to get those allocation pieces now? No, not going to happen. Nor should it. I mean, that's just the frank and honest truth. Maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. But if I was Rolex, there ain't any way I'm giving anybody outside of my network now these days any of my allocation pieces. Maybe you'll get the Air Kings of the world, but still Daytonas are going to Bukhara. John Mayer Daytonas are going to Bukhara. I'll put it to you this way. The state of things is that I was with a a major a, a big time uh, editor for one of the major outlets and he was waiting for a celebration dial on Friday. Oh, is he? So huh? people with pull <laughs> still playing the game. But again, there's somebody in the industry, there's somebody has connections, and they have connection with the retailer. At some point in time, those connections with that retailer could be reevaluated. Like, what do you think is going to happen when Rolex finishes its massive new skyscraper building in New York City? You think Vempi is going to be allowed to carry Rolex? No. It's already done. Once that building opens up, Later in the next few years, Vempi, who's been carrying Rolex for years, is no longer going to be allowed to sell Rolex. And in that building, Rolex will open up its first ever corporate store for both Rolex and Tudor, a shared store. And now that they have they own Bukra, they have distribution points all over the all over the all over the planet. I mean, 
They don't need little guys anymore. They That's don't need certain. anybody. They don't need anybody. And again, as we know, Rolex produces watches. They have plenty of pieces that are floating out there in the network. The allocations are heavy. It's just the retailers are not allowed to sell them, you know, unless they have minimum stock balances and all these things within their network. I know that. I have people in the industry who have told me these things. I get it. This idea of scarcity is completely artificial. But now they can turn the faucets on and they can pump them straight to Booker. And where's everybody going to go? Oh, I don't have a new one, but I have one that's slightly gently used. Yeah. You and get I, you get everybody more, on two fronts. I know it's fronts. more money, but I have it in stock. Yeah. You get everybody on two fronts. You get the gray market people that don't care what they're spending or wanting to buy something that is really, really cool and special. And you get the brand new market too. You can sell people whatever the hell you want to. That is boss level moves. I mean, yeah. Boss level moves. Well, you knew you were, you knew they were up to something when all of a sudden out of nowhere, oh no, you can't you can't buy these. What do you mean I can't buy these? These are everywhere. You knew they were they were up to something. Right. Yeah. And the last thing we'll have to see is if this even is allowed to go through. That's going to be the biggest challenge. Because every single document that I've seen that's been some type of PR communication or some type of communication concerning this acquisition, the last thing is said in some of the statements is like acquisition pending authorities approval or something like that. So they have to go through antitrust and, I was and say, monopoly. Yeah, yeah it's sure. antitrust and monopoly type situations to make sure that this is on the up and up and that it doesn't create some type of monopoly for the industry, which it could be, very well be ruled that it does. Who knows? Now it's Rolex, and I'm sure their legal team will sue everyone into oblivion and it won't matter, or they're going to give everybody Rolexes to look the other way. It won't matter, but. That's the last thing that could potentially be a hiccup here. And I doubt it will be. But this is going to have resounding effect in the industry. And this is also why I think that you started to see um, Rolex change its direction a bit with its offerings and product. Because they knew no matter what that they were going to be able to sell them. They had distribution points in the pipeline that could be sold. They could come out with whatever the hell they, they wanted to. Well, and if you're going to phase out the mom and pop retailer, you might as well phase out the mom and pop watches too, right? Nobody wants That's my clunky, point. clunky tool watches anymore. You, oh, you could buy my, you could buy my tutors. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this is, this is, uh, 40 chess, 5D chess, man. This is this is brilliant business. I mean, you really have to take tip your hat off to them. They know how to play the game. I mean, hell, they wrote the they wrote the rule book. And then they broke it. Mm. <laughs> That's the thing I find the most interesting about this whole company. They always stay 40 steps ahead. There you have it, folks. Let's see how it goes. I'm not too optimistic personally, but we'll see how it goes. And in the event, I mean, in the end, of, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll be able to make fun of all of it. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Uh, yeah. Rough go. Rough goings for the folks, the hopefuls, the ones that are the ones that are on the wait lists, the ones that are keeping hope alive. I feel for you. I'm not there with you, but I feel for you. I'm just gonna say this, man. If you haven't already, just go just go try to find something else. Go buy something you can actually love and wear and use today. 
Why keep waiting? This is now only going to potentially further that process. Unless you're already on a wait list from Booker. But once this shakeup finally comes down and all these bigwig heads start to roll, who knows what the heck that's going to do in terms of priority for, for you in that respective store. If you have a relationship with them. Who knows what kind of thing is gonna is gonna change once Rolex officially assumes control in operations as well. Right. They said, oh, you know, you know, Rolex isn't gonna enter into Booker's operations. Okay. <laughs> sure. I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. This is this is hostile business takeover one on one. You're gonna tell everything, you're gonna tell everybody everything's gonna be okay. You start making drastic changes. You start with the top brass. You start cutting them out and replacing them with your type of personnel because that's what you do. So now you can assume control and ownership over everything. And then you're going to cor- you're going to corporatize the entire structure all the way down. So even if you had a relationship with Bukura or with Tourneau or anybody and you had a salesperson, you had a purchase history, who knows if that'll even be honored or if they're going to start everyone at zero again. We'll see. We shall see. All right. We'll end on that glum note. <laughs> uh, episode 95 in the books, 96 coming at you, 100 coming down the pipe. So exciting, exciting times. Yes, sir. Crazy to think about, but. Anyways, we'll catch you folks next week. Schmitty, see you soon, kid. Deuces.